Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Anna Liebel. She is from Ukraine, has spent time living in Sweden, has spent time in Newcastle in England. She currently lives in Iceland and right now she's with her husband's family in Germany. Anna, welcome. Thank you, Richard. Yes, here I am with all my confusing geography. <laughs> wow, you are a true European. I think we can say that. Yeah. So, uh, yes, a very a warm welcome to uh, the show. And your, I guess your PR person reached out to me on LinkedIn. I looked at your profile and then I saw, and now I'm going to read this phrase, which is at the top of your website. I help leaders reclaim their genius zone by eliminating reactivity, transforming their leadership and becoming catalysts of a thriving company culture. And the phrase that stuck out for me is this genius zone idea. Because I've always had in my head this, you know, the we had in fact we had somebody on the show talk of, uh, at length about Leonardo da Vinci, and I don't know, I think of Mozart, I think of Einstein. You know, I have this idea of who a genius is, mm. and they're a lot further up the ice cube scale than certainly I am. And I'm sort of like intrigued. Can can really anybody be a genius? So yeah, explain what you mean by genius. So yeah, okay, so. I think we come from a bit different uh, perspectives here, because when you think about genius leadership, you think about a genius who is leading. For me, it's about a leader who is doing leadership from the, their zone of genius. Right. So it's not about the intellect and actually talking about, can everyone be a genius leader? <laughs> no, <laughs> the answer is <laughs> because not everyone is interested in leading people. And I would say that those classical intellectual genius people, like uh, the examples you've mentioned, Da Vinci and so on, quite often those people are so much so passionate about their creativity and and let's say their world that they are not so interested about other people and bringing them on board. They are a bit too much in their world, let's say. So if we talk about the intellectual genius geniosity. Is that an English word? <laughs> we could use it. Genius sheep. <laughs> then uh, that is not what I mean. Uh, and that's not the people I work with. What I work with is to help every leader who is willing to, uh, to be better at what they do, to find their zone of genius and to lead other people from that space. Okay. Okay. So we're not talking about genius in that intellectual sense. Um, and we're also saying that not everybody can be a genius leader or a leader that helps people find their genius zone. But what is this genius zone then? Like that, yeah, I'm skeptical. I'll just be honest. What, what do we mean <laughs> by, by, by genius zone? I'll, I'll give myself an example. Uh, when I think about the genius zone, for me, that's the zone where you are super aligned with your values, with your mission. So you have done enough work on your own part. So with the self-leadership uh, to understand what you want in your life. How do you want to be as a person? What do you want to contribute to the society? Because that is a, uh, that's a non-negotiable for me as a leader that you do want to have some positive contribution to the society. So you, you have a clarity about those parts and you, you have, you align your, actions your strategy your vision with those parts they your inner compass so to say 
and the, the geniosity or the, this zone of genius means that you you stay aligned with that overall strategy of yours and no matter how the winds blow in the stormy seas you actually stay on course and you are able to bring the other people on that course with you and keep them on that course with you because you can't con um, achieve your mission your life's mission alone you need right. to bring the other people okay so it's about being in this zone and staying in this zone is about staying true to my my purpose my values right exactly yes yeah i'm nodding here <laughs> yes yes and is it so is it something like almost like having a a well-developed personal morality that we try to stay true to is it is it something like that Exactly. But it's also not only about the values of yours, but also about the passions of yours. So you, you, you are, you, you know, what you are, what kind of environment you're thriving in, uh, you know, how you function as a person and what makes it fun for you to work as a leader. And you are making sure that as much of your work is done in that environment. And of course, the world is not perfect. Life happens. So you will be taken and dragged out of that zone in which you feel this best alignment but you know clearly where that zone is and by having that as a as your strategy to stay in that zone as much as possible you actually enjoy the process much more you are having fun and you actually can play with leadership okay. not just have it as some kind of heavy duty and responsibility that drags you down with your energy right yeah and that's interesting you say that because how many people who are called leaders you know seem to have a very heavy existence right you know that they seem to be burdened whenever you um yeah encounter them that's that's often true isn't it um that is tragic sorry i i know that you wanted to uh, yeah. say something but richard this i think this is very important to understand that it doesn't have to be that way and unfortunately it happens way too often nowadays that that leaders who have that official responsibility are not feeling well in that in that role and it should not be that way first of all these people can become uh, playful and joyful in that process with the right training and unfortunately that is not happening uh, Zengen and Folkman the US based company who has been doing a lot of research on leadership I'm pretty sure you're uh, aware about them but they've been doing uh, a lot of uh, investigations for using this 360 degrees assessments uh, about leadership with the focus on that and their research is showing that leaders so people who are in the responsibility having responsibility of managing the other people usually getting official uh, training on how to be better leaders more than a decade after they have gotten into those roles i mean imagine right. that you become a doctor and 13 years later, they're like, oh, yeah. And by the way, here is the anatomy book. And right. let's let's practice a bit. That doesn't happen in those kind of uh, professions. But somehow with the leadership, we think if someone is a good engineer, the best engineer on the team, they should lead the other engineers. Right. And then the organizations are taking, making two mistakes. First of all, they're not asking people whether they're interested in leading the others. Sometimes people are assigned into those roles. And there we're talking about those people who are never interested in that. They will never become good leaders and they will suffer. You take the, the genius, the intellectual genius who loves solving technical problems, 
and you put them to put to so, to solve people problems instead and taken them away from the technical issues at all how smart is that of the organization it's a lose 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 and the right. same as well even those people who are interested in leading the others they don't get the official uh, training they don't get the support from the organization to keep improving in that yeah no I, I, yeah that doesn't surprise me at all that statistic um and uh you know, we're in the business often of selling you know, leadership programs, coaching programs, leadership development. Uh, yeah. And it's, um, it's, it's not common, you know, I, I think that's, you know, that people make very large investments in this stuff and it's not necessarily easy for uh, people to align to make these kinds of investments. Um, you're absolutely right about that. It doesn't surprise me that that's the, you know, that's the statistic. Um, so I feel like I need an example of like of this of this zone of genius. So, Anna, do you, you know, when did when did this idea form in your mind? And you know, what what's your experience of of being in and out of this zone? I suppose. Okay, two questions here. I'll start yes. with the first one. I have been working with coaching people in their personal development for some years uh, while still being in the corporate environment. And that just happened out of my passion and then people naturally came to me and asking for a piece of advice. And then it got every week a, strategic, like a, a, a scheduled call to, to get more piece of advice and so on. Um, and looking at that, it was really about finding your zone of genius as a person, not necessarily as a leader. And I talk a lot about leadership as being three-dimensional when you lead one-to-many, so you lead, for example, the whole organization, the whole team, and so on, one-to-one, when you lead one person at a time and build those relationships with the individuals, and then the uh, dimension of one, when you actually lead yourself. And I think that one people miss on a bit too often, unfortunately, and that one is crucial because every good leadership starts with you. And that's what I've been focusing on. And my clients have been in very different positions than necessarily were leading the others, but teaching them to lead themselves from that zone of genius have, has been my focus. And how that reflected and what, what it created for them is really about finding the tools and techniques to be playful about the life. And also, as I talked about this alignment, it was about finding the ways to, when you are kind of thrown off the course, to identify it rather sooner than later and understand, okay, how can I get back on that and actually act on that? So all these, all this work we've been doing has helped them to be in their zone of genius as people. So that I'm not talking about their work. It's in that case, the zone of genius was more about their personality and their personal values, how they actually want to live their life, what kind of person they want to be. And then when I started working, uh, no, I was working full-time in my business for a couple of months. And then I had a summer vacation this year, a bit of a time to reflect. And I realized that I'm missing this part of working with teams. So back in a corporate time, I was working project management. And even though I was on the like, technical part, engineering, leading an engineering team, I focus a lot on the people part of the projects. And I understood that I was missing that part to help people find the common language, to, to, to help them improve their collaboration and communication within the team. And that's why I started focusing more on leaders and helping them be those 
positive changes or change agents for their teams and people whom they are leading. So that's what I'm coming to zone of genius as a leader, when you're actually helping your people become better as people and as team members. And what is your role in that? Right. Okay. Uh, but, and then for, for you personally, Anna, so when have you, like, what, how do you define your zone of genius? What is your zone of genius? Like, what, what do you align around? I am best at helping people get curious. I'm, I'm curious myself. And in the conversations, I love having conversations, deep conversations with people. And, and then I ask a lot of questions, explorative questions. And that brings curiosity to people because unfortunately they, they get those kind of questions way too seldom nowadays. Uh, it's more often guiding questions or questions with some judgment in them. And when they get this totally curious question, they start thinking themselves and, and be curious about themselves as well. Like, hmm, why am I thinking this way? Hmm, where does this attitude of mine is coming? coming? Hmm, how can I make this conversation better with a colleague of mine or my partner and so on? So bringing this curiosity to life in people is my zone of genius. Right. Right. So you are open, you are curious and you, you help others, enable others to find their curiosity. And is that, is that the pattern often? So you're looking for people to identify in themselves what they value the most and helping them to have others access that same set of qualities? Is, is that a pattern or not necessarily? Now I'm trying to come up with an exception to it to say that not necessarily a pattern, <laughs> but um, no, not at the moment. Nothing comes to my mind. So I would say more often than not, it is part of my work with people to help them find their approach to communication, to build relationships, to communicate their, or to set and communicate their expectations and manage those. Uh, so I would say that's, big part of what I do yeah and coming back to your question when I am out of my zone of genius I've had those periods when I for example didn't have that many of those deep conversations with people and that is super tough for me I'm low on energy I stop thinking in more negative terms I'm going into the loop kind of spiraling down and of course the decade of working on myself has is helping me to snap out of that quicker and with, like, you know, my rock bottom is much more shallow nowadays. So I, I do keep, like, hit it now and then, but it, it's not happening at the depth where from which you need to kind of pedal and pedal and pedal to get back to the surface. And that's the thing that what, what I talk about with my clients a lot, that I learn from them just as much as they learn from me. It's always a two-way street because they feed my curiosity. They help me to stay in my zone of genius. They help me better understand humanity by understanding one more person better, one at a time. So this is my zone of genius. Those conversations, they help me be in, in that curiosity mode and, and keep, keep bringing more empathy, I would say, to this world for it. Mm. And so... Well, I just so I just recorded another podcast where somebody had, we flipped the tables and they were grilling me and one of the things that they were grilling me about is like making this relevant to my audience. So basically he was saying, Richard, you need to make your podcast more relevant to people so they can act <laughs> on these conversations. I'm like, oh, okay. 
So, uh, so in that spirit, Yan, uh, mm-hmm. if you're listening, um, what what is your practical advice for mm-hmm. people who find themselves out of their genius zone, out of, I suppose, the energized state you might, and mm-hmm. you know, what what can they do to help themselves get back to it? So, one of the exercises that every client of mine is getting is the daily reflection in a structured way. So. The, the first session with, that we go through, they get a homework of going and buying a notebook unless they have one empty at home and start answering three questions every single evening. And the questions are, what have I done well today? Or you can say, what am I proud of today? What am I grateful for? And what do I need help with? And it's fascinating to see who struggles with what because it's not the same. Some people are struggling a lot with what I've done well today. And that's usually grounded in uh, strong self-confidence and weak self-esteem. So they, they, don't, they don't feel like they are good enough. And that kind of reflects in this question and struggling to find that. Some people have been brought up that, um, that it's, weak, it, it's weak to ask for help. You need to manage everything yourself. And that, that question is difficult for them. Some people are in a very negative space and they don't see anything positive at the moment. Uh, so far, I actually didn't have those <laughs> clients. But some people I know are struggling with being great, grateful and showing gratitude for what they have in life and they focus on what they don't have. So this is one of those things that people can start with just tonight after listening to this show. And it does take practice. But once you're in the habit of doing that after two, three months, it, it creates a huge change in you because you, first of all, create space for yourself to reflect on a daily basis, which all the research is showing how, how it affects our mind and also physical body. Those people who are journaling on a continuous basis have fewer physical complaints about or fewer complaints about their physical health. health. So it even is reflected well, that, I didn't that way. That, I didn't know. Yeah. Maybe it makes complete sense because yeah, I've had a journaling practice for like well over a decade. That's interesting. Mm. So, You've had um, so. Are you still yeah, journaling? Yeah. No. I, yeah. Mm. I, I've 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 got pretty much every day for. Mm. And how you do, do you journal? Um. Yeah. So how do I journal? I'll, but first of all, I, I will answer that question. I just I just want to acknowledge that. So that's and and just to sort of recap for people. So that that's really powerful. So it's what what did I do well today? Like, what am I proud of? What am I grateful for? And what do I need help with? Yes. Yeah. And um, and I will. I promise I will come back to the question of what, what will you journal? But okay. I just wanted to briefly, and, and why particularly those questions in relation to staying in your zone of genius? So I will say that I have had very different questions throughout the last, I, I started journaling in 2014 or third, end of 13, actually end of 13. And it's been on and off sometimes. And it's been, different in different phases of my life uh, or of my personal development journey so at some point I would actually have 10 points to write down instead of three and normally these three questions are actually part of a four question block and the fourth question which I write the first one is what I did less well today and what is my learning from that and I know that at the moment I have quite a tough period in my life and I know that inner critic is more awake and to not feed that inner critic 
I switched off that question since uh-huh. September, maybe October. So I'm not doing that because I know that if I open up that, there will be a Pandora's box and the Cine Critic will be like, rah, 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 rah. I don't need that. I need to keep going and staying on track and I need to get energy from this. So I know that, okay, once I will be uh, like through this tough uh, period in my life, then I will go back to that question because there is a lot of development line in there. And sometimes I had a question of what I'm grateful for in other people's lives, for example. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. What am I and that's basically too. Yeah. And, and, and there I would need to really think about several. I think it was up till five things that I needed to write in that question. So it can be different and it's not cut in stone. And that's the important part. You can just Google for journaling prompts and look for what, what lands for you. And actually a tip for, for your listeners, there is this Sanctus journal. Uh, we can, I can give you the link afterwards mm. and uh, put it in the show notes. It's a UK-based uh, company that is uh, helping the mel- mental health, address mental health, especially in the workplace. And part of their work is actually a free community where every day you can log in. And I think they use this type form and you answer journaling prompts and they have new prompts every single day. And you can actually get your journal and see what you've been doing. And you can share it with the community or share with some particular people in your circle or just keep it to yourself. So that's one of the ways of doing it and exploring what what is good for you, what helps you develop. And just, just to answer that there is no kind of, I'm not saying that these three particular questions that I'm answering for myself at the moment are the ones and only that can help you in your personal development. But the effect is coming from really giving yourself space to reflect, to learn, to feel. And feeling is something that we actually numb quite a lot nowadays. We just run, run, run. We achieve, achieve, achieve. We perform, perform, perform. And we don't sit down and feel like, okay, how does this performance actually make me feel? Am I performing in the right area? Am I feeling anyhow close to happy? This performance, from where is it coming? Is it coming from fear or is it coming from place of power and alignment? And this journaling practice has given you the space to sit down and answer those questions for yourself and understand what is your zone of genius and slowly start seeing how can you get in that zone, how you can stay there, how can you get back into it? Right, right. So it's not it's not those three specifically. It's it's the practice, and it's choosing the questions that suit you for wherever you're at. Yeah. And answering a bit more why why exactly those questions for me is that gratitude. Again, research is showing so much how gratitude is changing our mind. We are rewiring our brain by doing that. And there is a quite a powerful school of uh, doing the gratitude journaling in the morning. Uh, I just chose to do it in the evening because I know that, okay, if I do it as this part of my habit with the, re- with the evening reflection, that will happen <laughs> on a continuous basis. But this is a reason for the gratitude there. Asking for help is there. You can ask for help, not only necessarily someone else, but you can also ask yourself, help me be patient with my kids tomorrow. Help me be honest with my partner in that conversation that is coming. Help me be more present during the meeting that we are having tomorrow. Those kind of things. That sets your focus 
to the things that helps your brain to understand, ah, this is something important. And then you have the night to kind of reset your, your, main, uh, your brain. So you don't really need to necessarily think about it the day after. And then again, what you've done well is really important as well, because we, we need to learn to complement ourselves and to uh, feed our both self-confidence and self-esteem. And that question is helping uh, with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, specifically the gratitude question. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. So you asked me, um, what do I, so I, so I, interesting, my journaling is, is starting to shift a little bit just only over the last three months, but for the last, for virtually all of the last 10 years, I've only really ever had, uh, three questions <laughs> and they are um what happened mm-hmm. uh how did it make me feel and uh what would i have done or said <laughs> mm. so this has been the way i processed uh getting triggered right so this has been all about emotional work and um mm. trauma release work so what happened like that person pissed me off or I shut down in that conversation or very rarely in my case, but I overreacted in that certain situation. Um, like, so that, that's what happened. Like, cause that's what's on top of my hand. That, what, what's like, like, what's spinning my wheels right now. What's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's got a grip of me. And then like to, re- to, to, to what would have been the authentic response, Yeah, you know, like fuck you or, <laughs> or, uh, I hate you or I love you or um, whatever, right? Mm. What, what did I block? What did I suppress? Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. And I missed the feeling. And then like, what, 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 so what happened? What did I feel like? I felt angry. I felt scared. I felt frustrated. And then what, what would I have done? Um, and those are the, basically the three questions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then sometimes I add a fourth, which is like, is, th- is this familiar? Like to help start to trace it back, like, how is this similar to something that happened in my childhood or even earlier? Mm. So it's, uh, it, that's, that's how I've used journaling. And it's really like having a, it's like having a, I mean, I've always, I've had a therapist, different therapist, but I've, I've been in therapy for over 10 years. And so it's like having another therapist basically. Mm. Just so in your pocket a, all the time. Right. Or at yeah, yeah. bedside table. Yeah. Bedside table. Yeah. Um, so I've got stacks and stacks of, I actually use an A4 journal, mm. um, big journal, uh, that I can and I've tried to do it online but it's not the same because you can't like you can't you can't like grab the pen with your fist and mm-hmm. scratch mm-hmm. around and you can't draw easily and you, you can't you know sometimes I draw sometimes I'd write sometimes I just you know like scrawl mm. and right now the tech isn't there where you can really get physical with it in that way it's just different process and again the research and the science mm. is showing that it triggers different things in our brain different Mm. parts of it right so we come into neuroscience there the pen and paper sorry to say guys (laughs) but they still rock (laughs) and it it really is helping to to boost this development journey and it's really powerful to do it in the evening for example because you don't take the um, things from this day into your night affecting your sleep first of all and also into your next day so it helps to you to restart and to be fresher, to be more energized the day after. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Uh, and it certainly used to be a lot more true than than uh, when I didn't have young children mm. <laughs> getting up in the night. 
<laughs> but yes, absolutely. It does. Uh, I found it, 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 it. And what's for me, what I find fascinating about journaling and just really that process of reflection is now, if I spot a time when I was um, not authentic, right? I didn't didn't say the thing I wanted to say. I didn't, you know, whatever it may have been. It's like if I write it, it's like my my body doesn't know the difference like between the kind of role play with me and my journal and the actual event and so the next time I'm faced with that situation very often I find the words coming out of my mouth as if mm. I'd practiced it when and, and I kind of had practiced it but it it's like it has this magical effect that it it it, de it develops you even though it's this artificial exercise mm where it's just you and this journal, but it's as if you were doing it. It's as if you mm. were saying that thing you wanted to say to your boss or to your partner or to your kids or whatever it is. It, so it's so powerful in that way, I find. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mentioned with this help question, right? That you write it down and you just give it to your brain. You feed your brain with that information, what you need to help with. And over the night, you're sleeping and it keeps working. And next day, it gives you the thoughts it gives you the motivation for the actions that are aligned with that. And that's the same what you were saying. You are rehearsing that situation and you are rewiring. You're giving your brain another scenario and just you, you, give, you, give, your, you give your brain a bit more variety of what can happen there. <laughs> and right. then it can pick it up. And again, from the power of having written it down with your hand, your brain will have it easier to pick it up. And yeah, play the right scenario in that moment next time. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking. It like gives your brain another option when faced with a similar situation. Um, it helps, yeah, create it, right? That act of writing it down in a way, perhaps that just thinking about it doesn't. There's something about turning it into a physical act through writing mm -hmm. that perhaps does make a difference. It also makes it clearer because when you think, uh, you might think that you've thought the thought. <laughs> But you kind of thought a half of it and your brain fill in, fills in the gap. And the thing is that then you give the space to your brain to fill in the gaps with some bullshit <laughs> or stuff that should, should not be there at all, right? When you write it down, it has to be a complete thought. Even if it's some kind of scribbling, you know, when you do this stream of consciousness writing, it still takes a different kind of form. It, it gets more finished in a way. Right. And right. it creates less space for our brain to mess things up. Yeah, no, that, that resonates. Right. Okay, so we've got the journaling and we've, mm -hmm. we've sampled a few questions. Um, is there any other, other ways you work with people or with yourself to help them find their, their zone of genius or to stay there? What we do quite often as well is the value exercise when I ask my clients to write down three values that would describe them as a person. And it's quite difficult to bring it down to three that would describe you as full as possible, um, but it's possible. So what I usually suggest, you scribble whatever you, you can on the paper and it can be qualities like, I don't know, honest, authentic, uh, responsible, whatever. You just write it all down. When you get stuck, you open Google, our best friend and say, qualities or characteristics of a, a person there are a lot of web pages that gives you hundreds of lists and you just go through those hundreds and like okay what resonates and you just write them all down and then you take some 
colorful pen and you like you count, for example, you have 35 words, then you need to have that to let's say, then let's round it to 18. <laughs> uh, then you highlight 18 of those words. And then you take a stronger colorful pen, pen or whatever, and you circle nine of those words. And then this way you come in slowly to three. And the things that maybe something comes up or like you, you start seeing, okay, these three words actually from the same category is one of them representing the others in the best way, or maybe you find some umbrella term for, for those three. So basically you're really nailing it down to those three words. And it doesn't, not, doesn't necessarily have to be three words that ex, like that are classical, let's say characteristics of a person. Like I had clients who've defined sparkling as one of their value words. And the thing is that it has to have meaning to you. And one of my words, for example, is beautiful. And it's not about, uh, I don't know, perfect uh, body. For me, it's about this moment when I come to the mirror and I see myself and I'm like, oh, oh my God, why did you even get out of bed? And if that happens, that means that I have not been taking the self-care as I need, physically and mentally. If I come to the mirror and the inner critic is louder than my inner friend, that means that I need to go back and sleep better, <laughs> get out and walk, do my 10,000 steps per day, hydrate, do some meditation, and so on and so forth. So for me, this beautiful is really about, okay, what do I see in the reflection? If I see something, like I see myself in the mirror and I smile, that means that I am on track. I'm following my values and I'm I'm living as I preach about taking yourself first, putting yourself first and having the self-care as the best way of helping the others around you. So when you nail that down to three words of like your value words, make your reminders. And that can be that you create three alarms on your phone that beep three times a, a day with those words. Or it can be posted uh, at your desk on your fridge, I don't know, whatever you come up with. You ask your kid to draw those or to paint those three words with colors and you put it at your desk or anything that just cre be creative there and, and think what would be fun for you and what you would pay attention to. And whenever your eyes get onto those three words, just take two moments and think about it. Like, hmm, am I feeling like I'm living this in what I'm doing at the moment? So this right. is, again, one of those things that, first of all, to get to those three words, you do a lot of work to identify what is your zone of genius, what is your purpose, what's your mission, and then also those reminders help you to stay aligned with that on a daily. Right, right. And, and presumably, a bit like the questions, they can shift over time, can they? Absolutely. And actually, after you've done this for a while, you can actually identify several threes for example three for you as a richard professional person three as a father and three as a partner for example but in the beginning i try to really keep people to three as a general person like personal in in general because otherwise we just get confused like we are confused in our brain and the important part is really to get it into the habit but yes absolutely it can evolve it can change and it can also be different depending on which role you are in at the moment yeah it reminds me a bit of the, I don't know if you're aware of it, the Benjamin Franklin technique. Have you heard of that? Where he, had, he chooses 13 virtues. Mm -hmm. 
and every for each four weeks of a year, so he splits the year down to four week chunks, uh, thirteen four week chunks. He you choose a virtue to focus on, and like mm-hmm. every day, your mission is to practice that virtue, mm-hmm. and then you move on to the next virtue. And, and, and I thought that was it resonates with me that that similar mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, absolutely, that makes sense. That brings you to to practice it to get in the reps to really yeah. build the muscle so that it becomes automatic habit. And that's what personal development is about, to, to help yourself to make it as easy as possible to stay in your zone of genius. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, I feel like we've had a, a, a tour, a pra- hopefully practical uh, tour for those who, who, are, who are thirsty for that stuff, of um, what it means to, to get into your zone of genius, to stay in your zone of genius. Is there anything else you know, we've, we've, we've missed here? I suppose we've focused a lot on the, the individual practices that the one right the one mm. um is there anything to say about that one to one or one to many you know is, is there something we extend here and we're in the leadership role and we're looking to influence others that's that would be a whole different conversation but i think what is important in any of those three dimensions is to ask for help quite a lot of leaders are feeling very lonely in their journey they feel like they're thrown out there and they have to swim to the shore alone. And as I said, companies, unfortunately, don't have a good system often to support the leaders, to create the environment for them, to keep developing, to ask the questions, to get the answers. So seek mentors or invest in coaches or therapists if that is what you feel like you need more. To, like, you need to get support. Get into the networks of managers. Do whatever feels good for you. But you, you don't have to be alone in that. And it's such a burden to, to do this work unsupported. So that's super important to really feel like, find your way uh, of being brave and vulnerable. So being brave to be vulnerable, because that yeah. is the way of handling those things that will come your way as a leader. Right. Well, and actually that, that links to the, to the question, right? That you mentioned, you know, what, what help do I need? That will give you the cue mm. to go, Absolutely. go seek that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Well, Anna, thank you. Um, it's been an yeah, enlightening conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, thank you so much, Richard. I hope you're you, less you, skeptical about the zone of genius after this. <laughs> You've been sparkling. For those who can't see it, uh, Anna's wearing a beautiful. What's it? What is? is what's the uh, the stone that's around your no, neck? No, it's not is the it? stone. It's those. Um, I don't know paillettes. How do you call them? Anyways, that's something that you people usually have on their New Year dresses or things like that. Those All right, like fish yes. things. <laughs> fish. Now I'm missing English <laughs> terms for for the things what, I'm wearing. It, in Ukrainian, tell us in Ukrainian. Uh, palietki. Palietki. Okay. Mm. Well, Anna's wearing palietki for those <laughs> who understand Ukrainian. Mm. Uh, Not and very sparkly it is. Sorry? Is or it, Russian. It, it's actually a more Russian word that came to my mind. Oh, okay. Interesting. My God. How many how many languages do you, you speak again? Did, you, did, you, did we ascertain last time? So four languages fluently, three on different conversations levels. On my bucket list, uh, I don't don't ask me why, but I have I speak fluently nine languages, so I still have some some way to go. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of post-its around the house. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, and and to get to connect with you, you know, if any of this resonates and you feel like you could, uh, you know, learn more from Anna or get more support from Anna, then LinkedIn, right? Find you on LinkedIn. Exactly. I'm Anna Liebel on LinkedIn. I'm also on other platforms, but that's the the platform where I play most. So okay. Please connect there. All right. Thank you once again. Um, and we'll put a link to your profile uh, in the description for the show. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to um, include an addendum on this podcast. So uh, Anna and I were just sharing after I pressed the stop button on the recording about where Anna's journaling practice start. And it's such a, yeah, a powerful story. I wanted to, to get it recorded here. So yeah, Anna, tell us where, where the journaling started for you. Yeah, Richard, um, it started from the political events in my home country, Ukraine, in 2013, end of 13, beginning of 14. So people might need to Google what, what was happening, but it's called Euromaidan. So it started with a revolution when uh, Ukrainians were protesting against the uh, the decisions or the yeah, the decisions that our president at that moment, Yanukovych, was uh, taking as in um, collaboration between Ukraine and the European Union versus Ukraine and Russia. And uh, he stopped or he kind of put a hand break on the agreement that we were about to sell, to sign economic agreement with the EU. EU sorry. And um, <clears throat> uh, when he did that, people started protesting peacefully in uh, in Kiev, in the capital, and I am from there. But at, the, at that moment, I was living in Sweden, uh, quite a comfortable, good life. And when things started escalating, uh, at some point, uh, military forces were beating up people, and uh, they were escaping on the streets in the night. Um, and then it started getting more. So, of course, the the, the government hoped to the, the the protests would die out after the the. the after the beating up but uh what happened was vice versa many many more people came to the streets the day after and it just started growing and it was still peaceful up until some point so at some point in in january there it was molotovs flying on the streets uh, tires burned and things yeah things were not pretty and the thing is that i felt super what would i say I felt um, ashamed that I was sitting at home in Sweden watching news, waiting to see uh, blood on the faces of people I know and and seeing their names among the victims, people who have stayed in my home country to keep building it and developing it. While I, I left uh, out of curiosity, I wanted to study somewhere abroad. And then I just stayed because I fell in love with the uh, Swedish, uh, Swedish city where, where I was living. So I, I didn't escape from Ukraine. But at the same time, I felt bad that I, I didn't stay to keep building my country. And your mother and your father and your sister are still in Exactly, Kiev. they're still so in Kiev. this is where the protests are happening. This is where you grew up. They're living exactly. there. You'd been at university there. Some of your friends were in the protests. And you're exactly. living in Sweden, yes. far removed from it all. Exactly. So at some point I was considering going home to, to be on the streets. And I would stop my boyfriend then, my now husband. He was like, what's the point? What, what will you contribute with? And I understood that maybe not nothing. 
but I can contribute with something here in Sweden because colleagues were coming to me, those who knew that I'm from Ukraine, they were coming to me like, hey, Anna, what's going on? And I saw that as a possibility for me to contribute with bringing some more information because people always heard about Ukraine as part of Russia, some kind of that fallen off or some appendix or whatever. And uh, we have so much more than that going on on a cultural level, on a historical level and so on. And I saw that finally people were curious about that and I could be the channel, the, the informational channel for them to, to get some more context, to get some better understanding. So I started acting on that. Uh, I organized some uh, demonstrations uh, in, uh, in Gothenburg where I lived. And then I also uh, did some informational meetings at work where people could just grab their lunch and come and while eating, I could answer their questions. Uh, I did uh, weekly newsletters to have, for everyone who is interested, sending pieces like links to new piece, news pieces from different parts, so pro-Russian, pro-European, kind of neutral, and so on. And then giving my comments or on what I see from, through my family. Uh, so I was acting that way, and that's the thing that that exactly is when I started journaling more con- continuously. I just needed to get those emotions out of me. And I didn't realize the connection between that and my zone of genius and my way of staying in there until one of my colleagues, quite recently, maybe two, two and a half, two and a half years ago, she asked me, like, Anna, how do you manage all those things? Where do you find the energy in, in doing those projects? Because I was organizing exchange programs for Ukrainian journalists to come to Sweden and then Ukrainian film festivals and those kind of things. And I had to think about where does it actually come from <laughs> because I, I, I when I was growing up when I was in the university I wasn't active socially like, contributing to the society so it came from somewhere later and when I realized this connection to that moment of trying to be a part of the revolution and part of the good good part and positive part of that when it hit me it was a very powerful moment when I realized like this you can find the power, you can find the energy, uh, the constructive way of getting it out into the world and actually making it better, even from the worst and the darkest feelings of yours. And journaling was a big help for me to turn that depression and those dark feelings into something constructive. Right. And and there may be people wondering, like, did did you did you lose any friends that i mean in the i didn't lose any friends thanks god uh one of my classmates or university group mates uh, lost his younger brother and i knew that brother I, we didn't hang out much together but um we we hiked in the carpathian mountains in in ukraine once together for example um and yeah at that moment i was what 2014 25 and that guy was a younger brother so he was younger than 25 um i do have people who have been in the war zone in eastern ukraine um they thanks god all came back and they're doing great things now with social entrepreneurship and promoting ukraine abroad as well Mm. and your sister and your parents are still they're still in kiev yes and Kiev is a safe place war-wise because war is unfortunately still going on. Uh, it's not talked 
about on the news, but um, it's still there. Um, but uh, and that's happening where? What, what, where's the? It's eastern Ukraine, so two regions of Ukraine that are closest to Russia. Right. And and what's the and what's the power play there? Like what what's the nature of that war? I'm not a political scientist to discuss that, and honestly. I'm trying to stay away from that because I will never know the truth. It's again, some part of my personal development journey, focusing on your circle of influence as Stephen Covey has taught us. Um, that is not in my power of influence. What I can influence is, for example, give chances to Ukrainian youth to come to Sweden and see best practices of journalism when it comes to gender questions. That's what I did because I could. I can't solve that and I can't and I don't want to manipulate or uh, like misinform people. I'm not the best one to ask about those things and yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh so it's, it sounds like it it continues to be a source of uh well, energy I suppose. I don't want to say anyway. inspiration feels like the wrong word but Mm. Yeah, definitely. Energy comes from there a lot. And I haven't been actively thinking about that that much recently because I have a two-year-old daughter and I think she has been more in my face kind of energy source <laughs> recently. Just really trying to live my life on a daily, showing her what's possible and what you can do, what's in your power as a human, as a girl. So that was a bit more on top of my mind recently, but absolutely working with Ukraine. And what I do, for example, nowadays is uh, I have two team members in my business at the moment, and they're both from Ukraine. Right, right. And I'm actively hiring people from there just to give them another opportunity to practice English, get to know how business might be working abroad, um, learning something from me and my clients and, and so on. So this is also something I'm doing. Right. Wow, what a powerful story. And um yeah, I mean it's it's uh you know, it's extraordinary to think that, you know, Ukraine isn't that far mm. um from where I am here in England and yeah, that's the that's the reality, right? And that was the interesting thing for me when the war started escalating that people were thinking that something somewhere far, but if you think about it, Ukraine is actually the biggest country in Europe that is fully in Europe. Russia is number one, but of course, biggest part of Russia is lying in, in Asia. So Ukraine is a huge country and the geographical center of Europe is actually in Ukraine. And if you think about it, how many countries are there west of us and we're still kind of the center, <laughs> it just gives a bit of a perspective of that it's not as far as many people think. Mm, yeah. Um, and maybe that partly that's... Uh deliberate like we we want to tell ourselves it's a it's it, it's a, it's a long way away and uh and everyone is yeah. guilty of that i'm also that mm. uh, like when, when something is happening on the african continent somewhere it's so far away from me and of course i might read about those massacres and, and massive killings of people just because they they belong to their own tribe and i i feel bad about that but the next day or maybe the next hour i've already forgotten about that it's it's very natural thing and actually, partly because of that, I stopped reading news when the war was escalating in Ukraine. So I haven't been reading news since then. Uh, I live in my 
under my rock <laughs> in my dark cave, <laughs> just trying to put my two cents and do my tiny little impact in the world and spending my energy and time on that. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with the author uh, Nassim Taleb, mm. um, yeah. but uh, author of Black Swan, most famously, and he, uh, I think he's not watched the news for 10 years or something. Like that's mm. one of his, uh, one of the, um, uh, yeah, forms of abstinence he's most proud of, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Can't say I'm proud of the fact that I'm not reading the news, but I'm proud of the fact that I took responsibility for my own life that way. Mm. Some people are much better, like my husband, he's reading news on a daily and actually he's my filter <laughs> in my eyes to the world. So I ask him like, what is happening in the world? And he tells me those things that he thinks are important to know. So I am educating yeah. myself. And of course, then afterwards I can go and, and read on things, but I don't go on the mass media to read all the breaking news because I know that I will just spin into a dark place from that. And yeah. that, that does nothing good to me and nothing good to my clients, my family. I can spend my energy in a better way. Yeah. Good. Well, that was quite a difference. <laughs> yeah, quite a turn. I think it's a. Yeah, I think it's a, it's important we 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 included that. It's gives some context for um mm. you know where where it started for you and uh, I don't know if uh, maybe if there's anybody out there facing similar emotional turmoil then uh, mm. perhaps that uh, idea you, of Richard, of starting to journal will um, come to them. Thank you, Richard, for giving me the space to share that. I haven't done it in this format so far. My pleasure. Uh, it feels like a privilege to have, uh, you know, hear, hear you share it. So thank you. All right. Thanks again, and we'll uh, yeah, we'll we'll include this in the in the podcast. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.